le stack glass, le before is so chouette Les avis pédantes et super une fête Je pense que c'est effectively cool Je pense que c'est effectively wild Effectivement sauvage Effectivement sauvage Welcome to episode 2017 of Effectively Wild, a Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Riley of Fangraphs, and I am joined by a still beleaguered but present Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. <laughs> ben, how are you? I am somewhere between the Mets and the AL Central. I guess that's about <laughs> as, as good as I am right now. <laughs> so you're dying? <laughs> I mean, I guess we all are, aren't we? I'm in better shape than Jacob DeGrum's UCL, but I am, yeah, roughly AL Central levels as we speak on Friday. Every AL Central team is currently below 500. Yeah, it seems bad. So I'm either that or the Mets reeling after losing a bunch of games to the Braves and some other teams too. I will admit that I didn't get to watch a lot of baseball yesterday because I was, I was busy working, 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 you know, mm-hmm. and also yelling at the Blue Jays on Twitter. And so um, I didn't like I didn't get to watch the Mets collapse. Mm-hmm. But the way that people who did watch the Mets collapse, who prefer the Mets to win versus yeah. lose, <laughs> were talking about the Mets collapse in their game against Atlanta. It took me back, Ben, you know? Mm-hmm. I felt like I was in a an earlier time. I won't say a simpler time, but no. a will pawny time. That's right. how it that's how it felt. Felt like we were doing an oldie but a not goodie, at least yeah. from the Mets perspective. The the Braves fans I follow were thrilled. They're having a great time. Yeah. A lot of what will Cohen do columns out there. Will yeah. heads roll? Will there be big changes? It yeah. is extraordinary that it is June 9th and the Mets are 30 and 33 and the Padres are 29 and 33. Yeah. <laughs> two teams that were much talked about over the winter, that yeah. spent a ton, that were yeah. angering other owners who didn't uh-huh. want to spend money, who were being forced to spend money or fall behind because the Mets and the Padres are spending money. And here we are. So yeah. again, I continue to think that uh, if neither of these teams turns it around, then we will look back at this and, and it could be kind of uh, a big deal in terms of those two teams really trying and really going for it and not being rewarded with wins. I guess you could put the Rangers in the category of they went for it and they spent right. a lot and they are. It is paying right. off for them. Big time dividends for for the Texas Rangers, even with yeah. Jacob deGrom now going under the knife and yeah. being done for the year and potentially next year too. But yeah, the Padres in particular, just because as we've discussed, that there was so much consternation about what will happen to the Padres long term, and it all presupposed that the Padres in the short term would be quite competitive and that right. it would all be worth it in the long run, whatever happened. I think that there's a good conversation to have about, you know, if we're identifying different buckets of foibles, consternation, plagues, curses, mm-hmm. problems befalling mm-hmm. all of these teams. Like there is like a good roster construction conversation to have. And, you know, how do you balance being aggressive in the short term, sometimes to the detriment of your farm system with long-term goals. And I think all of that is good for us to to think about. To your point, like the Rangers were aggressive and they went for it. They went for it 
last off season. I'm I'm doing yeah. a little like skip and a jump, you know, to the off season that preceded this past off season, and and were aggressive beyond Degrom, right? Like that was obviously the biggest dollar contract that they signed this off season, but hardly the only one. And like. Look mm-hmm. at these Rangers. And then mm-hmm. you have the, you know, we never, not we never, we talk about it all the time. And I'm sure our listeners do amongst themselves. But the flip side of that coin is like, you know, I have seen some, I've seen some tweets, Ben, and I regret mm-hmm. it. I always regret seeing the tweets. I almost, I almost am never like, that was, I'm happy I saw that tweet. <laughs> but like, you know, the there have been some tweets about like, these two teams are X amount over the luxury tax when you combine all of their penalties, they're spending this much to lose. And it's like, well, I guess, you know, the A's are only spending like $80 million, but they've only won 14 games, you know? <laughs> and which of these experiences is more enjoyable? You probably still would rather your team have tried, even if it's not succeeding right now, um, than do what Oakland is doing. I don't... Are they going to have a place to play next year, Ben? Oh, Who man. can say? Like, maybe we'll know by the time we record next maybe, week. It just seems like there's we'll a... Know. Every day it's like, okay, today we will know for sure. Yeah. And then there's another special session of the yeah. Nevada legislature and I just read comments by the legislators yeah. about like, why why should we pay for this? Yeah. And then there's another special session after that. It's just let's keep having special sessions until somehow we slip this thing through. Very often when you watch committee testimony of state legislators, you can want to pull your hair out um, and you're like, oh, no, things are going very badly at all levels of government. But sometimes you get like a really good sassy session yeah. and you're like, this is satisfying. I feel yeah. I'm not even a, a resident of the state of Nevada, let mm-hmm. alone Las Vegas. And I'm like, I feel well represented by these people. Yeah. <laughs> these these are our people. Yeah. The longer it goes on, the more I expect that the A's will somehow get their way or mostly just because uh, teams tend to often. And they it seems like they'll just ram this thing through whatever it takes. But yeah. they, they can't have anticipated this much resistance, it doesn't seem like. They seem to have bungled this and I don't know whether they will get it across the finish line or have to just uh, go back to Oakland licking yeah. their wounds and come crawling back or or how this will end. That would yeah. be maybe the most amusing end to all yeah. of this and I guess something approaching a happy ending for A's fans if they're not just entirely tired of this team at yeah. this point. But yeah. yeah, until it's dead, totally dead, I'm going to assume that somehow it gets done because it seemed like it was dead several times. And then somehow it has a heartbeat again. I feel like one should always take the approach to stadium funding exercises that you take to villains and horror movies. Yeah, exactly. The A's are Freddy Krueger. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Or like, mm-hmm. which one is, I get the slasher villains mixed up sometimes mm-hmm. because Ben, they're kind of gross, those movies, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't always, I, I, I don't always want to rewatch, you know, not always like, oh yeah, let me watch this nubile teen get slashed again. I'm not into mm-hmm. it. It's not yep. my, it's not my preferred genre, but. No, you've got your Michael Myers in Halloween. You've got Halloween. your that's Jason the one with Jamie in Friday the 13th. Lee Curtis. No, that's yes. the one with Jamie Lee Curtis? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I know Jamie Lee Curtis is involved in like a really <laughs> profound way. And you've got your Freddy Krueger in Kruger. A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the one with Jamie Lee Curtis. No. No. <laughs> that is, that is who's, Halloween. Who's the one? <laughs> who's the one who in the, in the Friday is... <laughs> <laughs> Who's the one where they go to summer camp? <laughs> that's that's 
Uh, wait, no, that's Friday the 13th. That's Friday the 13th. And yeah. then the first movie, it's his mom. That's the, oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's the mom, right? And she's, and you understand why she was upset. And then it turns out her kid wasn't dead. And she could still be upset. She was justified. Although those weren't the teens that killed her son. Anyway. We'll have to do a Patreon of, pod where we each watch a horror movie and report back. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, I know that there is a certain contingent of our listenership who sometimes is displeased when my voice gets into a squeaky range that only dogs can hear. So maybe they'll want to sit that one out. Although they're probably not Patreon supporters anyway, so who could say. Anyway, all of that to say that we started by being sad about teams that were supposed to be good that are currently playing, you know, less good baseball and somehow ended up making about the Oakland A's. So we're just being ourselves. It's not a large leap from the Oakland A's to horror stories, really. (laughs) But I mean, they're there was certainly a segue there available yeah. to us. Anyway, yeah. we anyway. talked about those teams a lot. I'm sure we'll talk about them more, especially Again, yeah. if, if they don't turn things mm-hmm. around. So I was wondering whether we need to officially, formally retire the <laughs> maybe it, it was an unofficial, effectively wild podcast rule that stats don't count until Mike Trout is at the mm-hmm. top of the war leaderboard. Is it time wow. for us? Because he's a mere. 31st on the war leaderboard at this point. And there have been some articles written. Jay Jaffe wrote about this for Fangraphs, and Sam Blum wrote about it for The Athletic. And it's sort of a, what's wrong with Mike Trout? Are we going to see the old Mike Trout? And by that, I mean the young Mike Trout. Is he going to be back? Or is this the new normal for Mike Trout? First of all, it's amusing, I think, that there is any... Won't call it panic, but consternation about how Mike Trout is playing because, uh, again, he's played very well. He's on pace for like a a five and a half win season, you know, like which is uh, clearly an all star caliber, better than all star caliber kind of season. He is, uh, again, 31st in the majors in war. He has a 136 WRC plus. He's been a very valuable player, but he has not been as good as we're accustomed to Mike Trout being. And Jay ran through this in his piece, right? And there have been occasional stretches of this length in prior seasons when Mike Trout has not played well, has uh, played similarly, again, by his standards, below what we would think. But it is one of the worst stretches of his career of this length. and given that he is almost 32 years old, that he's had the back ailments, et cetera. You wonder whether they might finally be taking their toll. You know, he's uh, swinging and missing a lot more than he used to. And and he's had great seasons or, or great stretches where he struck out a lot too. But, you know, it's just, it's a little bit different, right? And you wonder, like, uh, are we finally seeing aging take place here? Like, is he declining as a player the day that we've dreaded and awaited? Is it here? So I think, yeah, (laughs) I would submit the following. I think that that we are witnessing him officially entering his decline phase. I think that he will likely have a relatively smooth decline barring further and worse injury setbacks, which unfortunately I think we have to entertain that as a possibility with Trout now, right? Mm-hmm. We have we have many seasons now. We're like, we're here, you know, this is the guy. 
But I think it's going to be like a, it's going to be a gradual thing. And he is a player who has demonstrated over the course of his career an almost like preternatural ability to identify a weakness and then mm-hmm. course correct on that weakness. Now, I imagine that for every player, even generational talents like Trout, future Hall of Famers, et cetera, that your capacity for that course correction probably is blunted over time just because your body declines. You know, Mm -hmm. you lose some bat speed, you know. Um, Your back is barking at you. And so I don't imagine that the course corrections will be as dramatic as they have been at other points in his career, but I imagine he probably has a couple left in him and that all of that taken together will result in, like, the kind of smooth, graceful age that, like, we want for these guys, right? So mm-hmm. I think that. I I also think, and I don't want to telegraph the point of our uh, podcast today, the exercise we're about to engage in. Mm-hmm. I am not yet ready, Ben, I don't think, to crown the new, you know, war isn't real until guy. I don't, uh-huh. I think that is an unsettled question. I think there are some really strong candidates and there are mm-hmm. some delightful young players who are going to kind of claim the mantle as the the best guy and they they're gonna just delight us as they duke it out to become the new best guy but i don't Mm -hmm. know that there's like an obvious like even otani i don't know i don't know yeah there doesn't necessarily have to be a successor to that crown because it just feels it feels bad to take off the crown and hand it to someone else although you know like I'm kind of opposed to monarchy, so maybe I'm getting exactly what I want, really. You know, maybe this is actually my ideal scenario where it's just like it is amongst a group of very talented people and there there need not be the no. guy. There right. are a lot of guys, you know, yes, maybe exactly. this is the best outcome. That was what set Trout apart is that right. he was there year after year after yeah. year, either at the very top or adjacent to it, right? And so there would be years when Trout was not the war leader or someone else would displace him or come very close to him. So, you know, there was like a Josh Donaldson year and then there might be a Mookie Betts year and then yeah. there might be a Marcus Semien year. There were years where Bryce Harper, right? I mean, yeah. but the thing was, Trout was right there every year and typically he ended up at the top. So no other player really did that with his kind of consistency, and maybe no player will now. There will just be a short list of the best players in baseball. There just won't be an inarguable number one year after year after year, the way that Trout has just had that locked down for the past decade plus. And I wouldn't be shocked if this is a slump, and for the rest of this season, he's uh, the old Trout again. Yeah. Because I think aging for players. It's not like they completely plummet off a cliff, at least in most cases, or it's not like they can't ever do the things they used to do. It's just that like the slumps last a little longer and maybe they're a little more extreme and the hot streaks last a little less long and maybe they're a little less hot and eventually like the slumps get longer and the streaks get less long and you end up with a player who's declining, but it's not necessarily always super sudden or dramatic. So I think the difference is if he keeps playing at this level up until this season, I would have said, even though there were players who projected in the past year or two to be more valuable than Mike Trout, 
that was because of durability. Right. And when he had been on the field, he was really as good as ever. Like even last year, you know, he ended yeah. up with a, a 176 WRC plus. He was worth six plus war in 119 games. He was playing at an eight plus win level over a full season. Like, you know, it was a little different, but he was more or less as good as ever. He had a little bit of a slump before he went on the IL and dealt with the back thing, but then he came back and, and he was his usual self. So there were concerns about how many games will he play, but not really have we seen him play for a protracted period and actually be healthy and suiting up and just not being like the best player in baseball while he's out there. So if this continues, this would be a first, I, I guess. If we had a, a yeah. full season of fairly healthy and durable Trout thus far, who's just a star, but not a super duper star. So right. that would mark an inflection point, I think, in his career if it continues. A super duper star. A super yeah. a super duper star. I'm not entirely giving up on peak trout being over yet. It will take more than that. And he seems to think that it's correctable. You know, he's sure. uh, talking about how he's in the cage and he's taking extra swings and he thinks that it's just uh, one tweak and there's mechanical flaws he's identified. And when he's doing the right thing in the box, then he's uh, the old Mike is, is how he described right. it. So can he be the old Mike more consistently? Yeah, uh, probably. Like it's it comes down to consistency when you're that good. Can you right. be at that level all the time or most of the time or some of the time? So I would not be surprised if he's at that level more of the time for the rest of the season than he has been thus far. But can we stop saying that stats aren't real until Mike Trout's at the top of the world leaderboard? Uh, it's probably time probably, to say that or else probably. we might have to write off the entire season as not real, which doesn't seem like it would be fair to all the other players out there. Or, or to Mike Trout, for that matter. Like, why why burden him with yeah. the angst of his fellows, you know? Oh, well, it's mm -hmm. like, he doesn't have to carry that load. We don't have to place that upon him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that we're there. It has to be so odd. Like, we will... I mean, you less probably because you um, just consume so much pop culture. But it's like, yeah, I think we all feel a sense of as we age or like a remove from familiar settings that we're not like actively pursuing. Right. Where it's like, mm -hmm. you read the, like Ben, I, I don't know about BB Grunk. I can't, I can't <laughs> be brought to, to be burdened by that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the saying about how everything I've learned about this has been against my will. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I, I finally figured out what it was referring to after days of seeing it and going, you know what? No, I'm no not I don't need to gonna. know about that. <laughs> and it wasn't worth it, though. I, I am shocked. I, I don't know what it is. I know that it is not just Rob Gronkowski and his girlfriend having a baby, which no. seems, you know, and if people had been like, I bet that's a really big baby and were worried about how big that baby might be, I would have been like, yeah, that seems like a reasonable concern because have you seen Rob Gronkowski? I bet that that's mm -hmm. a, gonna, that would be a really big baby. Yep. And, you know, ouch. Um, that's not what it is. It's some no. other... As I said, unaffiliated baby, some mm -hmm. unrelated baby who also doesn't appear to actually be a baby. And I'm like, I cannot, I can't, I cannot read even one. I know there are explainers. I can't, I can't do it. And so you, you know, this is an unimportant example, <laughs> arguably, um, but it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know who all the celebrities and commercials are anymore. And I'm not, I like, I'm in my mid thirties, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like I'm so far removed from a time when people will like unambiguously invoke the word young and feel comfortable with it. Right. So like, mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who that gal in the Coca-Cola commercial is. You know, I think she's a model, but I don't know. She <laughs> likes to eat pasta with her friends. I'm happy for her, but I don't know who she is. And like, um, and that's fine because it's unimportant that I know that. But we all like have these moments where we're like, okay, the culture is moving away from us a little bit. Other people's interests and aesthetics are becoming central and like that's fine like that's how it's supposed to go like we can't hold on to this stuff forever that's not that seems unfair so you know as we engage in our careers where we have to like think things and say things and write things and like have a perspective that people listen to i worry about that a little bit like not in Mm -hmm. a keep me up at night kind of way but just in an acknowledgement that like at some point i might be at a step through no active choice. It's not like I'm rejecting things. I just am not engaged with them. Mm -hmm. It has to be so weird for the thing you're, you know, at a remove from to be your own self (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) from like three years ago. It just has to be a profoundly strange job. You know, you've, you're arguably, you can make a good argument best to ever do it, right? Like Mm -hmm. the best to ever do it. And that was like a couple of years ago. I don't know. Yep. It would be very disorienting. I think I'm spending most of this season just feeling really worried for guys. Like I, I read these quotes and I'm just like, are you, are you okay? Like, are you okay? And I'm sure they are because, or they're, they're not, but they're like, you know, equipped with the resources to try to find their way to feeling, you know, at peace with it. Right. Mm-hmm. But I do worry, I worry about, I worry about all of them. I worry about the Trouts and the Syndergaards, like all up and down the spectrum yeah. of like still a viable, still a good, still a star, but not a super duper star. All of those guys. I'm just, because what I really needed was um, greater capacity for anxiety. <laughs> I already <laughs> right. have. <sighs> anyway, yeah. that was a, a more direct related to baseball tangent than me not knowing who super, uh, you know, horror movie villains are. Yeah. It was closer, at least. You managed to tie Baby Croc to Mike Trapp somehow, and I, I understood the connection. Do you remember, Ben? Sorry. We're going to stick on this for one second, and then we will do our our purpose for convening today. But do you remember the really big baby? <laughs> like the <laughs> yes. early days of the pandemic. There yes. was, like, a really big baby. Yeah. And look— I am not a mother and I, I don't want to criticize people. I don't know about this baby, but I was like, people were like, it's a really big baby. And then I was like, how old is the baby? And they were like, oh, he's four. And I was like, so he's not a baby. Like he's objectively in a different phase of life than being a baby. Mm-hmm. He's not in his prime like right. we are, Yeah. <laughs> but like, he's not a baby anymore. He's like a toddler and he will soon be just a whole ass kid. Like yes. he's not a big baby. He's just like, a maybe kind of large toddler anyway. He, yeah, he had baby like features. Yeah, and, he had a he did have a very baby face. Baby he had like a baby attire face. in that picture at least. Yes. Right. But but that was there was a strange discordance between yeah. <laughs> some aspects. But he was of, like four. So it's like, yeah, he's just he's maybe he's tall for being four. And mm-hmm. maybe he does have a very youthful face for a four-year-old, but he's still, like, objectively not a baby anymore, right? I don't remember <laughs> yeah. if he was exactly four. Don't send us no. emails. Like, he was <laughs> he was safely out of the baby range. So yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think he was three, but still not a baby. Not a baby! <laughs> no. Yeah, okay. Anyway, okay. So, so speaking yeah. of babies, though, yeah, there are we, so we many good have, young uh, players. Da, we've da, da, da. got a, a draft to do here. We do. Right? 
Hey, one thing. Did you see this? Uh, is the the Phillies pitch clock too fast controversy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, is uh, amusing. I think I enjoyed reading Matt Gelb's piece uh, for The Athletic about investigating whether the pitch clock in Philly is too fast, is faster than the other pitch clocks. And this is something that, hey, the Phillies, by the way, now have a better record than the Mets and the Padres, just barely. They haven't been off to the greatest start either. Not that people expected quite as much of them, but they've been playing a bit better of late. And they've had an odd season where you kind of worried about their depth coming into the year and the depth yeah. has been okay, but the stars have actually underperformed to some yeah. extent, whether it's Trey Turner or Nola or Real Muto, you know, and some of yeah. those guys have been a bit better of late and the team has been a bit better of late. Yeah. So the fact that they've gotten this far without getting what they expected from some of their stars, so Schwarber too, you could throw him in there. That's actually well, kind yeah, of encouraging. He's waiting for June though, you know, that's right. what he does. <laughs> yes, that's the magic month. But they've also purportedly been dealing with a sped up pitch clock, which uh, is not actually a, a disadvantage, arguably, for them. You could argue that, if anything, it's an advantage because they have maybe been messed up by it less than the visiting teams at Citizens Bank Park. So basically, Matt ran through the numbers and, and found that there have been more violations in games in Philly by a, a fair amount, by a somewhat suspicious amount, and also both Phillies and visiting players have observed that it seems like the pitch clock goes extra speedy in Philly. And most of the violations have actually been visiting players, which is why I'm saying, if anything, this might be helping the Phillies because it could be, in theory, kind of a home field advantage. Like if in your park, the clock is sped up, that might mess you up, but it'll probably mess up the visiting players even more because they'll be even less used to it and they'll be able to uh, adjust to it even less than you are. But everyone has their internal pitch clock timer and they've been looking up and they've been surprised by how fast it's gone. And there is kind of a human element to the pitch clock, especially on, on some calls, right? So just quoting from Matt here, the timer starts when the pitcher catches the ball from the catcher, no matter where the pitcher is standing. But players have noticed that is loosely interpreted. The Phillies think the biggest discrepancies in the Citizens Bank Park clock have come after foul balls or other events that stopped play. The league's rules state that after a dead ball, the timer is to begin only when the pitcher is in possession of the ball on the dirt of the pitcher's mound. Clock operators in some ballparks wait until the pitcher is near or on the rubber which makes it sound like maybe the operators in Philly are, are actually following the letter of the law here and others aren't, but it's been different. Anyway, it sounds like MLB was aware of this, was informed of this, is uh, grading the timers and the umpires on this and maybe has intervened already. It's not clear whether this has changed, but this is uh, sort of an amusing controversy, but it does, it does matter. You want it to be consistent across all the parks, of course. You do. I don't want to like impugn Matt's work here. I do. I do suspect that like this stuff kind of will end up coming out in the wash when yeah. the season is done. And it's frustrating because we don't have. You know, this is the kind of thing where okay, you have the you have the raw violations data, and you have the anecdotal experience of players, which I don't mean to discount, but it's like we. I wish that we had, this is where I wish that we had a lot more camera angles because the way to sort this out and verify the sense that the players have is to go watch all the violations mm -hmm. and 
and be like, eh, yeah, right. you know, in that instance, this and that. But we don't have that sustained center field angle all the time. We sometimes get it when, like, a guy is warming up or you get the cut back to the mound and the umpire delivering a new ball, like, when a foul ball is hit. But we don't have it consistently. So it's like, mm-hmm. I want the Zapruder film version of <laughs> yeah. this. And, you know, it is something, like, Matt, if you're ever bored at the ballpark, it sounds like you should sit there and, like, get your right. stopwatch out, you know? Yeah. It doesn't sound like it's a, a calibration, like, the clock is, you know, the duration of a second is shorter in Philly than somewhere else. It, right. it sounds like it's more about when it's actually starting, the right. countdown. But, but yeah, you'd have to be in the park and observing that closely yeah. in order to, to actually compare. Yeah. So, it doesn't strike me as impossible because you're right, there is an element of potential human error even in something as precise as time, which, <laughs> mm-hmm. wow, we've done it. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I do wish that we had the means to like do that video analysis at home because, of course, now everyone's going to be like, ah, controversy, <laughs> and it's like, this isn't it already broke contained to John Boy, so like <laughs> we're gonna have to talk about this for another three weeks. But yeah, um, this, is, this yeah. is not a banging scheme level scandal, I don't think. But but it makes sense, I guess, that there would be some slight variation sure. from park to park, just based on having to actually start the countdown at some right. point, and unless there were some way to automate that or tie it to some events happening. But right. there's umpire discretion involved in these things, so. I don't know that there's a, a perfect way around it. Again, I don't think it's so different that it's uh, extremely disruptive or or that anyone's at a massive disadvantage here. But yeah. if anyone is being helped by this, it's probably the Phillies, I would think. Just a, a little bit of a fast finger on the clock. But I'm sure if that actually has been the case, it'll probably be addressed. Yeah, I think that um, the, the incentives on the league's part are very strong to have – things be as even as possible amongst the different parks so that no club either has the perception that they're being put at a disadvantage relative to other teams or is able to actually demonstrate that that is true. You want to mitigate both the actual the actual issue, but the making sure that the perception of the clock as fair, I think, is probably almost as important because, mm-hmm. you know, this stuff, as we saw in the minors, like, the way that this all hangs together over the course of a long season is if everyone is very bought in all the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, let's do a draft. We're doing so, a draft. We've been excited about the arrival of Ellie De La Cruz. We've talked yeah. about that on recent episodes, and I'm no less excited having gotten to see him for a few games now. Yeah. He has totally lived up to the hype yeah. very quickly. You know, like some guys come up and they might scuffle for a few games. Yeah. And it's like, all right, we know it's in there somewhere, but we're just not seeing it immediately. He wasted no time. No in just time. <laughs> showing everyone. I love when the rookie comes up and immediately like runs harder or throws harder or hits harder than than anyone on the team yeah. has the entire season to date, which was the case. Like he he hit a ball in his first game that was harder than any ball that anyone else on the Reds had hit this season. And then he had like the fastest, uh, what was it, home to third time or something? Home to third time in not just for the Reds, in no, the majors. In the majors this year. Right. He, yeah. He bested Corbin Carroll. Yeah. Yeah, so he's just done all sorts of uh, elite StatCast superstar stuff. Uh, he hit just an absolute bomb that like Tank. almost left the stadium. It almost <laughs> left the ballpark, Ben. Yeah, it's <laughs> just, just so much fun. And 
immediately just looked and acted like he belonged because in his very first game, he predicted the outcome. It's just like a, a seasoned big leaguer claimed after the fact that he had predicted something. So supposedly he predicted Matt McLean's walk-off single uh, <laughs> when the Reds came back to beat the Dodgers. And Ellie said, I told him, I told you, I told him before he hit the walk-off. I said, hey, you're going to hit a walk-off. I said, I told you, man. So no hamburger phone in effect in Cincinnati. So I, I guess we don't have receipts, but I mean, what's more big league than that? Your no first game. hamburger phone. <laughs> but uh, really, I mean, what could be more big league than you get there and immediately you're already predicting stuff. So, and taking credit for it after the yeah. fact, I'm sure he actually did. Anyway, he's been fantastic. And I think he will probably be the last prospect of that caliber to come up this season. I mean, there aren't many prospects of that caliber, so that would be a very short list. But to make his major league debut, like uh, there are definitely some some prospects who could still appear at some point this season. Sure. But when it comes to really, really elite guys, I, I think probably they have debuted already at this point. And so in honor of that, we thought we would do a draft of under 25 players. Yeah. And by that I mean players who are younger than 25, not uh, fewer than 25 players. <laughs> but <laughs> and a point of clarification related to the age that you know, yes. maybe someone had to ask like 20 minutes before the draft started. <laughs> yes, so not 25 and under, but under 25, 25. You have to be younger than 25 as of today younger when than we are drafting. So we are ruling out excluding seasoned, wizened veterans, old men like Ronald Acuna Jr. and Jordan Alvarez and Bo Bichette. Uh, these guys, they're all 25 years old. They have passed the threshold. Uh, George Kirby, uh, Luis Rob. Robert, right? So none of them qualifies for this draft. You have to be under 25, younger than under 25. 25. Yeah. And we've done in the past, uh, Sam and I did many years ago, under 25 starting pitcher drafts. So this is everyone open to all players. And we had done similar things. We did similar things at the ringer a couple times, although we didn't do drafts. We did collective rankings of our MLB staff, and we argued with each other over that, but ultimately just produced one list. And we're just going to draft and... As we've done with previous under-25 players drafts, I, I think we'll just say war accrued over the next 10 years. Uh, I guess we can go with Fangraph's war and maybe— <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> yeah, well, back when we did this in the past, we were still at Baseball Prospectus. We did Baseball Prospectus warp drafts, but— Fair enough. We're, we're company people, so we'll do Fangraph's war this time, and, and yeah, I guess we'll go— 10 years, maybe, or we could do increments of, of five, uh, let's say 10 officially. And then maybe if it's very close at the end of 10 years, uh, <laughs> we could just extend it to like entire careers, the rest of careers. But well, let's say let's say 10 years and then, I don't know, we can trigger an extension if it, it fits within like five war or something. If it's too close to call, then we'll extend it to end of careers. But that's the draft, and we will see who the best players are, the ones we believe in most. I guess this could be in honor of Ellie De La Cruz, or it could be in honor of Joe Adele, who's back in the big leagues yeah. and is still 24 years old. He's eligible, so we'll see if oh, anyone drafts Joe he's, Adele. He's going to be my first pick. Yeah, I, I probably won't draft Joe Adele, but uh, you know. How many the, are we doing? 
I think generally these things are are like twenty five under twenty five. So we'll just reel off. We're doing twenty five. Ben? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I guess you we did gotta not do... tell me it was going to be. I totally told you that. You didn't tell me it was going to be that many. <laughs> oh scroll, no! So, scroll up in your G chats. That's so many guys. <laughs> but there are so many. There's so many I know, good but players. Like, that's like we're going to be here we'll forever. Just, I got to get no, my haircut no, in we'll an just, hour. We'll just list them off. Just so we'll, we're, we're not going to overthink them. this. We're, we're not. Yeah, Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I, I guess we wow. should go twenty six because it has to be an even number so that uh, oh my god, is, <laughs> that extra one that's gonna wow, take so much longer. No, it's okay. We're just gonna name <sighs> names. Can I go that's first? It. Sure, <laughs> please. <laughs> I'm taking Wander Franco. Okay, I would have taken Wander Franco too. But. And I'm not even telling you why. I'm just saying. I'm just saying names. I mean, you can say something can about I it. Can I say something about my first overall pick? Because sure. I actually have like a quote prepared. Oh, yeah. Uh, I have a please. quote from a piece, you know, because yeah. Wander Franco, he's, you know, he, Wander Franco is like the prince who was promised. He is still mm-hmm. the only prospect in Fangraphs, like the current era of Fangraphs prospect ranking to be an 80 future value prospect, the only yep. one, right? Mm-hmm. And he had, you know, that scintillating debut. And then last year he was still good, but he was hurt. He didn't play play a whole season where like who's going to be what is Wander Franco like who is he and then you know he was like I'm really good at baseball and he currently is sitting 303 366 487 he has a 142 WRC plus Ben Clemens no less a luminary looked at like the first part of the season and a lot of this stuff has stuck and I just think this is a nice little recap so Ben says these changes are worth recapping he's looking for pitches to drive before he reaches two strikes and driving them when he gets them when he does get to two strikes he's phenomenally aggressive in the strike zone and makes contact in an elite clip if you leave the zone he chases far less frequently than average this is what a superstar hitter looks like he might not be might not have top tier power but he makes up for it by never giving away at bats and tapping into everything he has frequently mm-hmm. so yeah Wander Franco. Wow, 25. Maybe you did say, I don't know. I spent part of yesterday reminding you that when you are sick, we do not have to record. We can like record a different day. People okay. will we're understand. Gonna go, we're going to go fast. It's all right. Sorry. I, I, you didn't even have to justify it. I mean, Wander Franco. I know, Franco, but it was the first overall pick, and yeah, I was no. I was prepped, you know? And so yeah, I wanted no. to. He's currently leading the majors in war, and he yeah. is uh, 22 years old. So wow. I, think, I think he is the queen number one pick here. Yeah. All right. Well, since you you stole Wander Franco for me, I guess I will take Juan Soto, who is uh, still eligible for this draft after all these many years. I know, he is he's old for this draft right yeah. now. He's 24, so I, I guess you could say 10 years. Uh, by the end of that time, he could be showing some some age related decline. But who knows? Uh, I guess the only reason to take someone else over Juan Soto is that he's not going to give you that all-around war value, right? You're not going to get a, a lot of base right. running or defensive value, typically. I mean, his defensive <laughs> metrics fluctuate wildly, but but generally, he's there for his bat. But his bat is uh, great. It's one of the greats, and he has uh, improved his offense after a slow start, so I still believe that he will age very well as a hitter, and uh, I wouldn't really select anyone other than Juan Soto to be a better hitter over the next decades, probably, who's eligible for this draft, at least, certainly. So, yeah, give me give me Juan Soto. Okay, um, I will take Fernando Tatis Jr. All right. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He hasn't played quite as well as as Peak Tatis yet. No, but, he has not. But yet to figure, you know, there'd be some rest involved. I'm, I'm intrigued there. by the outfield conversion going pretty well so far. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. We're saying words about why we're taking soon. them. We have to we have to okay. go. We can say if we can say a few words. All right. <sighs> I'm going to take Corbin Carroll. Ah, dang it. Yeah. Yeah, he has uh, quickly risen. Oh, he's so good. To the top. He is really from from day 1. He's just been very good. He's I mean, just so good. He's so yeah. good at baseball and he's so fast. So, yeah. ah, we're talking. Ah! <laughs> okay, <laughs> my turn. Yep. I'm taking Julio. Yeah. Okay. It's uh, totally defensible. How long do you think it'll take before we take a pitcher? Uh, that's uh, always the question. That's always the question. Things, okay, right? well, when, we're going to find out. We should just go. Yeah, when when we did this at the ringer, Bauman was always more pro-pitcher than the rest of us, and we yeah. would make fun of him for, for taking pitchers yeah. much earlier. And yeah, I, I well, hmm. we'll hmm. find out soon, we're gonna find I think, out. soon-ish. Yeah. Okay, so you took Wander Franco, and you took Julio, and you took uh, who Tatis. else? Did you t- Tatis, right. And I, I have a, I'm keeping Soto a spreadsheet. Co- okay, excellent. Thank I'm doing you. it. All right, then I am going to take. Oh, this is already getting tough. All right, I'm I'm gonna take Ellie. Ah, yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's too soon to take Ellie. Am I caught it's up fun in to take the hype and the novelty? I don't I mean, know. Maybe, but, but who cares? Yeah, but who cares? <laughs> he's he's really good. I mean, the thing about him is that like he's he can play shortstop. You know, like I, I guess there's some chance that he won't yeah. because the Reds have other potential shortstops. But you don't really worry about him being unable to. Like he's gonna right. move and his value will be compromised. And he just like despite the Statcast tools, like he seems more refined as a, a player than some other toolsy guys like yeah. he, he just you know like that first game I, he took a like a long plate appearances and a walk too you yeah, know and like he battled he back from being yeah. behind in the count yeah. yeah so he seems like a, a pretty polished complete player despite his youth so yeah i'm gonna go with ellie and and if i'm falling prey to the the hype of his debut then that's fine that's in the spirit of this draft oh i'm so nervous um <laughs> It's just so many guys. <laughs> wow. We're already <laughs> like, like, we're like a quarter of the way there already. Christopher Walken. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm I'm taking Vladdy. All right. I was wondering where Vladdy would go. It's, He's uh, going right here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I would have taken him lower. I, I, I had him lower on my board. I don't know. I mean, his case is very dependent on just being elite offensively, yeah. which he, he has been. You're right. And he has also not been at yeah. times, so I I don't really know who the real Flatty is. Uh-huh. I guess offensively, I, I'm excited to have ten years to find out. What an optimistic! We just spent we spent the first twenty minutes of this being like everyone gets old and dies and everything <laughs> is bad, and then we're like, we'll do the pod for another ten years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Land of contrast. Yep. Okay, I'm gonna go with Gunnar Henderson. Okay, I guess it's, you know. It, off to maybe a, a slower start yeah. than I expected this season and based on how good he was last year and the prospect pedigree and all that. But I, my mind has not changed very much about Gunnar Henderson. You know, there's uh, – as there is with Ellie, there's a question of like where will he play and will he yeah. play shortstop? And there's yeah. just so many infielders who yeah. are really good. But yeah, but yeah going to go with going to go with Gunnar. Unfortunately, Adley is also ineligible I for this know. draft. But uh, yeah, we got another <sighs> Oriole on here. Okay, well, I'm gonna take 
I'm going to take Francisco Alvarez. Okay. He's All eligible, right. right? Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Francisco. Okay. All right. You know what? I'm I'm going to take a picture. Wow. At this point. Yeah. I'm going to take Strider. I'm going to take Strider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, the only pitcher I really considered this high yeah. with a, a top five pick for me. Oh my God. We have to take so many. We have to draft so so many more guys. Wow. It's not that many guys. We it's already drafted so like many 10 guys, guys already. We're, oh. we're like a third of the way there. God. It's a sale at a log. A All third these guys of the way there. We've each taken five dudes. Yeah. Well, we're not each taking 25. Oh, we're, I thought we were each taking no. 25. <laughs> no, I was worried. Oh, what, my God. I was wondering why you were so worried about Real this. Real roller coaster. You <laughs> <No>. know, <laughs> it's, it's almost like I didn't read things carefully enough in a job. <laughs> Where I, reading comprehension is important. To be you fair, said, I didn't. I didn't specify that. You didn't, and I got so no. nervous. Yeah, I was. I was like, "Hey, we're we're going at a nice clip here." Meg's so scared about the <sighs> timing. No. <sighs> oh, sorry, I did a really big swear. Please bleep it, Shane. Wow, I'm so it's stressed, okay. and I'm doing okay. <laughs> Titanic swears. All right, so Spencer Strider basically has been one of the very best pitchers in baseball yeah. since the day he showed they, up. Yeah, just like mowing, just, mowing yeah. guys down. It's so scary to take a pitcher anywhere in these drafts yeah. because A, the injury risk, and B, pitchers just they don't <laughs> pitch that many innings anymore. So I actually I looked at this, and the percentage of pitching war produced by pitchers under 25 so far this season is the fifth lowest of any season ever. That feels and, right. Yeah, and to find lower percentages, you have to go back to the 30s and 40s. Yeah. Like 1946 was the last time there was a lower percentage of pitching war produced by pitchers under 25. It's just teams are very cautious with young pitchers these days. They tend, well, and a lot of them are hurt right now. That yeah, help. and a lot are hurt. And, yeah, and, you know, young guys, they, they just don't accrue a lot of innings. And who knows what's going to happen with pitcher usage over the next right. decade and how many innings anyone will be throwing. Yeah. So yeah, there are a lot of reasons not to take pitchers at least high up in this draft. But Spencer Strider's just—he's really good. So. He's really good. Yeah, he's really good. He's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm gonna take O'Neill Cruz. All right. Yeah, O'Neill Cruz, intriguing, very intriguing. intriguing talent. Seemed like he was potentially putting it together, and then he got hurt. But yeah, but I believe. I guess there's more danger that he will shift positions. Yes, right? that he will move to an outfield right. corner. Right, but. like he is an interesting comp to put side by side with Ellie right now because you know you would think, okay, he's a more established big leaker. There should be less volatility in the profile, but I. I think you can argue. Mm, this might be this might be recency bias, but there there is an argument maybe to be made that there's actually still more volatility in the profile because you know Ellie might not stay. Well, he's not playing shortstop right now, but he yeah. is going to seemingly stay on the infield. That feels very certain, even if he's not yeah. at short. Whereas Cruz, if he's not at short, will pop out to the outfield and probably in left, and then it's like whoa, and you know. I think we still have a lot of questions about what the contact is going to look like with him Mm -hmm. and his levers are so long. And I Mm -hmm. think that's been one of the things I've been so impressed with, with Ellie, because it's like his levers are so long, but he's so quick to the ball. Wow. And you know, Cruz is hurt. So Mm -hmm. all of that comes together to be like, actually maybe there is 
a lot of volatility here, but he was starting to put it together and it felt very exciting. Mm -hmm. And you want, I feel like both of us should have a construction crane heighted guy. That seems only, (laughs) that seems like a good um, narrative construct to put on a draft that I still do not understand the contours of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Neither of us should should corner the market on no. cruises slash Dela cruises. We should no. each have a, we, a, a pillar of our team should be a yes, cruise or Dela cruise. A literal pillar. Yes. Oh, there's yes. so many. Bi- <laughs> we uh, we're gonna find we're gonna find something more satisfying than construction crane. But they are we are in yeah. a we are yeah. in a. And, and people have worried about how O'Neill Cruz will age just because he's so big and they've cited just the not great aging of other players his size. But there's so few there's players so his few. size that I there's am so few. Yeah, not super persuaded by that. But no. they're both giants. Yeah. But Cruz Literal. is even more giant, yeah. at least height wise. Uh. So if that is something that you're concerned about, I don't know whether the difference between six seven and six five right. is a huge one or not. Right. They're both huge, obviously. Huge. So huge. all right. Man, okay, now it's it's getting tough. Not yeah, where are you going? Easy thus far, but mm. uh, mm. uh, mm. all right, I'll take Nolan Gorman, I guess. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I feel good about Nolan Gorman this early, but he's having a heck of a season. I he mean, is. there was concern last year that like uh, there might be just a hole in the swing and it might mm-hmm. be a problem, but then mm-hmm. he sort of rebuilt the swing and mm-hmm. he's been excellent this mm-hmm. season and he was uh, quite a highly touted prospect. So he's only 23, a young 23. Yeah. Young 23, strapping. Going Gorman. Going Gorman. Okay, where am I gonna go? If you were me, what would you do? You I would can't do tell you that. Okay, so I don't know if I'm gonna end up feeling awesome about this later, but no. Mm, ah, mm. <laughs> you know, it's it's hard. Yeah. It's a difficult exercise. You'd think it would be less difficult because there are just so many guys and they're all so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to take Michael Harris the second. Here's mm, my trepidation okay. around that. And I I voted in like an official capacity for Michael Harris the second to be the NL Rookie of the Year last year. Yeah. And I did that. And I think we talked about it at the time. I, I acknowledge that like that campaign might end up being his best season as a, as a big leaguer, right? Like that mm-hmm. capacity seems possible. I am impressed and I was impressed then and remain impressed now that he was basically able to like, you know, adapt to a new position on the fly. Like he really grabbed center field and he made swing changes at the big league level that were effective. I will say that like he does, it does look a little bit, a little bit bent. Like the body has backed up on him just a little bit, Mm -hmm. but he's been hurt. And so it's like, it's going to play your way into game shape and it's going to be fine, Mm -hmm. you know? And you know, he's, He's not hitting great right now. It's not the best, but injury. Mm-hmm. And so you figure you've made an adjustment before. Maybe you make a, you know. Yeah, sure. And so, I should have specified if I didn't that this is limited to players who have made their big league right. debuts already. So right. we're not going to be drafting Jackson Holiday or, right. or name your top prospect. Right. Not this would be a very different debut. draft yeah. that I would still be confused by, but a different one. Yeah. <clears> I don't know how many guys who haven't debuted I would actually because there's Holiday yeah I guess he, he would be somewhere but yeah I would take Jackson Holiday in this draft for sure all right I'm gonna take another guy who's not off to the greatest start Jordan Walker Jordan mm. Walker 
who, I mean, look, he entered the year as a top prospect in baseball, yeah. most hyped prospect in baseball potentially yeah. after the spring training that he had. And then there were too many outfielders in St. Louis, and he slumped a bit after his uh, early success, and then he got sent down, and then he got brought back, and he had started to hit well in AAA before he was summoned back to the big leagues due to some vacancies in the outfield. The big concern about him at this point seems to be that he's hitting too many balls on the ground. He is a ground walker. <laughs> we, need, we need a nickname for him as long as he's hitting too many ground balls. I guess we don't. I'm betting that he will not continue to hit so many ground balls. So no, I think he'll be. He's, he's very talented that he will make those adjustments. Perhaps he is already making those adjustments and he'll figure out how to play outfields given more right. repetition. And he's extremely, extremely young. So I'm going to bet on the talent and the youth here, Jordan Walker. So I'm taking back-to-back Cardinals, I guess. Well, I'll look at you doing that. I would like to um, clarify Breyer's statement. Hmm. Which is that Michael Harris, the second, he played center field in the minors. Like he wasn't, it wasn't a new position, but like he was, you know, he was playing one of the hardest defensive positions at the big league level. I didn't say that smartly. I didn't say it in a way that was clear. I said it in a way that made me sound like he had been like playing left field predominantly before that, which is not true. And so, you know, I felt like clarifying so we don't get any emails. (laughs) Okay. We do welcome your emails, by the way. We always say like we want to head off emails. We we love getting emails. It's just, you know, if we can save ourselves some correction emails by not making those mistakes or correcting ourselves. Right. Like, you know, um, did I wake up in the middle of the night a couple of nights ago being like, I think I said that like having the same number of walks and as strikeouts is sometimes bad. And I didn't mean it like that. Like anyway, it doesn't matter. <sighs> um, am I delaying my pick? Who could say? Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to, okay. it's going to be spicy with mm-hmm. that. Um, right. Just because, you know, I don't feel confident in pictures. I think they're all going to get hurt. Um, yes. I'm going to take Yuri Perez. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, taking Yuri Perez. Yep, might have been my next pitcher off <gasps> the board. Let's see. All right. I guess I'll go with Riley Green. Sure. Yeah, he, he's off to a better start this year. Yeah, he's, which uh, is nice. Which is yeah. nice. Yeah, he's uh, quite young. I mean, everyone we're drafting here is quite young. This it would is be a draft funny if you're like, players. he's ancient. <laughs> he's, he's still not 23 years old. And uh, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's got a 125 OPS plus so far this season. Yeah. I'm going to take, uh, da, da, da. I'm going to take Anthony Volpe. Mm, okay. Yeah. I was considering when or, or whether to take him because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't hit so well, obviously, no. but but the glove is good, mm-hmm. and I I believe in him. I don't know if he's going to be like a great great hitter, but I think he can be a good hitter. So so sure, Anthony Volpe makes sense Volpe. to me. All right. Oh man. Okay. Where are you going? What are you yeah, doing? Where Where am I going? What am I going to do here? What are you going to do? Gosh, this is getting tough. It's All so right. hard. They're also I don't talented. Know if I want to do this, but I guess I'm going to do this. I guess I'll take. <laughs> I guess I'll take Hunter Green, mm. who terrifies me because he throws so hard. You're cornering the market on greens. Yeah, I wrote about Jacob Degrom and his injury earlier this week at the Ringer, and I noted that uh, Jacob Degrom has thrown way more triple-digit pitches as a starter than anyone else, except for Hunter Green, who has <gasps> thrown even more than Jacob Degrom. That feels 
ominous. Yeah, it does. Like there are, I mean, there are very few pitchers who've thrown as hard as Hunter Green, period. But the track record health-wise of guys who throw that hard or or in that neighborhood, it's not the greatest. So he just, he he has looked quite good of late. Like when he's, he's good, he looks really dominant and unhittable. Yeah. So, and you know, look, uh, he throws so hard that he could throw a little less hard and he'd still be really hard throwing and really good. So I'm just, I'm going to hope that, uh, you know, like, look, we're talking about a 10 year, at least draft here. So even if you price in a, a Tommy John surgery at some point, that, that doesn't uh, disqualify you from, from being a decent pick in this draft. Okay. I'm gonna take Gabriel Moreno. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Are we saying that the, pretty empty batting average that he has right now is like as good as the number would seem without further examination. But no. Oh, he's hitting mm-hmm. below 300 now. Never mind. I take back. No, I don't, <laughs> you know, like he has an 85 WRC plus he is hitting for no power at all, but mm-hmm. he's a 23 year old who is handling a big league staff in the primary catching role because you know, they're, Guys coming into the season are banged up, and Mm -hmm. he had to learn a new staff on the fly after that offseason trade. And I've been very impressed with him as sort of like a, you know, field general. So Mm -hmm. I think doing all of that on a relatively new-to-you ball club at 23 is pretty impressive. So do I think that the bat will come around? Yeah, I kind of do. You know, he's a catcher, so it happens. Yeah, it it takes a little longer, like the aging curve for catchers. You know, sometimes it takes them a little while to get established. And also then sometimes the decline starts a little earlier because sure. there's just so much wear and tear on them. But, yeah. but yeah, sometimes it takes a while for the, the bat to come around because that's just a part of their job yeah. and sometimes not even considered the primary part of their job. So sure. He's an impressive athlete for the position mm-hmm. especially. So it's like, I think it'll be fine. That's yeah. what I think. And this is a long-term draft. So right. really like we should not be beholden to how these guys are doing this season right in the past two months. I mean, we no. probably are prisoners of the moment to some extent here. It's uh, it's hard to pick someone for the next 10 years if they're not doing well currently, but also it's just such a long time that no one will such remember how they were time. doing in those two months at the start of the 2023 right. season if they eventually turn it on. So who knows? I mean, we're all just, uh, <laughs> we, we have no idea. We're guessing. Who knows what will happen in the next decade? I guess I had some reservations about taking a catcher like I considered taking Alejandro Kirk who mm-hmm. also qualifies for this and maybe one of us still will I guess the problem with taking a catcher is that you're limiting the war you can derive from them I guess just in that they will probably play fewer games than most others and we're not drafting like a roster of actual positions no, so not. we don't have to take a catcher but I think that is still a perfectly fine pick. All right. Gosh. Okay. I'm going to take I'm going to take Andre Semenes. No! <laughs> yes. Correct. I'm going to oh, take I him. thought I was going to sneak him by you. Yeah, right, cuz it, it feels late for him, yeah. which again it's is he's having a bad year. Right, it's cuz he's not having such a good year, but but if we had done this draft late last season, he probably wouldn't have been off the boards much earlier. Much right? earlier. So oh. maybe I'm, I'm getting good value or 
Maybe ah. not. Uh, he just barely qualifies. He's uh, 24 years and, and 278 days. Yeah, it's it's. But, but he does qualify. He's sneaking sneaking in under the under the wire here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I don't I don't know if the real Jimenez is closer to this season or last season. I I don't really know. Like I was not expecting him to be quite as good as he was last year, right? Like that was somewhat surprising right? Yeah. that he was that great, that he was uh, sixth in the MVP voting. I did not necessarily see that coming. Obviously, the Guardians signed him to an extension, so yeah. they are comfortable with the long-term outlook for yeah. Andres Jimenez. So I guess so am I. Uh, okay. <sighs> Disappointing. Uh, <laughs> as if I didn't control my own fate. Um well, I guess then what I'm going to do, mm, got to kind of bob and weave here a little bit. I got to bob and weave. I can't we have like anymore. three picks left each, I think. Sure. Well, yes, I think I've we taken do. 10 guys. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll take another pitcher. Maybe I'll, mm. maybe I'll take Hunter Brown. Mm, okay. Yeah. He was on my list of, <laughs> if I'm going to take pitchers, <laughs> he would be someone Brown. I would potentially take. Okay, well, you could do worse than uh, getting the guy modeled on the Justin Verlander mold, I guess, if if you're going to draft someone for the next 10 years, want someone to last. Yeah, if only because, like, you know, there's the obvious Verlander comp, and I, Mm -hmm. I get it. I get why people make that comp, but what I am maybe invested in is over the next 10 years, do we persist in the Verlander comp or do we embrace what might be a better comp of Framber Valdez? So mm-hmm. this is where, you know, I'm interested in seeing where we go. I always yeah. said, I don't know. I don't know, Ben. We'll see Can't where we go are. wrong with either. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know. It's so Gosh, hard. This is getting, this is getting agonizing here. Gosh. Because <laughs> I've got like... Probably 20 more names on my board, my yeah. board being a spreadsheet here, mm-hmm. but but now they're not separating themselves uh, quite as much as they were earlier in this draft. <sighs> okay. I guess I will take – oh, man. I guess I'll take uh, – <laughs> I was about to say a name, and then, and then I you, you decided back. in the middle of saying it uh-huh. not to. Yeah, you were like, no, I take it back. <laughs> take it back. Man, I'm like tempted to take some some pictures here, but I I have sort of a philosophical aversion to taking wow. pictures in long-term drafts. Yeah, wow. <sighs> I just I don't feel great about the position players who were – Remaining at this stage, there are a few I'm, I'm weighing. Can't believe that you would insult Perdomo that way, Ben. Yeah, I know. Like, Joe Perdomo is, is he someone I want to take in this draft? I don't, I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily do that. No, I don't think so. So, uh, okay, I'm doing it. Mm. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely making a pick. You're very excited. Any second tell. now, I can tell that you are thrilled. I'm on tender hooks. <sighs> Uh, okay, I'll I'll take Isak Paredes. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't know, but I did it. Okay. <laughs> you sound like me. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Like, he, he wasn't the same level of prospect, 
that most of the guys we're taking are here. Like he was like a sort of squeaked onto top 100 lists as opposed to convincingly made them. He didn't uh, catch on right away with the Tigers and then the Tigers offloaded him to the Rays. And then, uh, of course, uh, he's been excellent with the Rays thus far. I mean, I don't know if excellent is is too strong, but he's been very good, right? I mean, he's been uh, over two seasons now, 167 games, 590 plate appearances. He's had 29 dingers, you know, kind of like a, a low average slugger sort. But, you know, 20% or so better than league average. He plays a bunch of positions. He is 24. I don't know. I don't feel great about this pick, but I don't feel bad about it. Uh, I'm going to take Ezekiel Duran. Mm? Okay. Taking Ezekiel Duran, who he also plays a bunch of different positions in part to accommodate um, other fielders that have made their way into the big league lineup in Texas. But like, um, you know, he has a, well, I, I don't imagine that like, this is necessarily, necessarily what we're always going to get, but he has 152 WRC plus Ben. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, he's another example of a guy who, if we were doing this last year, probably wouldn't have been drafted. Wouldn't have right? been drafted. I mean, he was a prospect. Obviously. Yeah. He was a, he was a top 100 guy for us last year. Yeah. But he hadn't put it together in the big leagues yet. Hadn't yet. And so, in 10 years, some of these people will look back and, and we'll be go, like, yeah, oh, that, that was cute. <laughs> right. Uh, they'll be like, okay, that, that guy makes sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, this guy, you know, didn't pan out, but I totally see why they took that guy. You know, maybe he got hurt or whatever it is. And some of them will probably be like, oh, yeah, he had a good couple months at the start of the 2023 yeah. season. <laughs> and, and then, that, and then you know. that was that, you know. Yeah. If you're, if you're going to nitpick, you're like – this is a guy whose hit tool is like pretty, <laughs> he chases a lot, but like the thump is there and, you know, he's, he's playing all over the place. And, uh, at, at 12, I feel like, um, this was, this was fine. Yeah. Okay. I am going to take the best of the 24 year old right-handers named Miller, who we talked about recently, oh. I, I think, or at least the, the highly uh, highest rated, of the bunch uh, when it comes to their prospect rankings and and I guess also of their performance thus far. Bobby Miller. Bobby Miller. I will, I will take Bobby Miller of the Dodgers, who has looked fantastic thus far. Again, he's made three starts in the big leagues, so <laughs> this might very well be a, a small sample recency bias kind of thing. And like any hard thrower, I'm scared, but you know, I'll trust in the stuff and Dodgers pitcher development mm. and I... We got to take one of the Millers, right? I don't know whether anyone's going to take a Bryce Miller or a Mason Miller, but we want some Miller representation here. So Bobby Miller's my guy. Okay. Well, speaking of Bobby's, I'm going to take Bobby Witt Jr. Oh, yeah. See, I was wondering whether he'd get drafted, which like, again, if we had done this last year, he would have been, what, first on the, like, you know, first, He would have been in the first three rounds at the the latest, probably, right? Definitely. He would have been a top pick. And... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know what to make of, of Bobby Miller, <laughs> Bobby Witt these days. It's like the defense, yeah. you know. It's, it's confusing. Just, it's very confusing. Yeah. the I guess the defense has not been as bad this year as it was last year, I guess. He has improved there, maybe. But, maybe. But he has hit 
even worse. So I don't really know. <laughs> but again, it's a long time frame here. And he is, he's still, he's not even 23 yet. And if you had asked us a year ago when he was best prospect in baseball, potentially, we would have said, yeah, for sure. So I think it makes sense, you know, even if he's uh, a little depreciated relative to where he was, maybe you've gotten a steal here. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. All right. How many, is this my last pick? Do I this is your last pick. Oh Assuming gosh, we're doing last, 13 last. and not 25 each. <laughs> we'll do 25 each. No. Oh, I'm so uh, nervous. And I really <laughs> rushed you because I was like, we, I, I have to go get a haircut so I look like less of a gremlin. We've talked about this. Well, I understand if you thought, yeah, no, if you thought we were drafting twice as many players as, yeah. as we are, then I can see why you were. You were I was so stressed, Ben. <laughs> Um, all right. I can't believe I'm taking another pitcher, but I'm going to take Taj Bradley here. Okay. Yeah. It makes me nervous. I think to, Taj is going to be good, you me know? Me too. Yeah. With Ray's pitchers in particular, you never know how much work they're going to get. Sure. How many innings they're, they're going to throw. Not that he'll necessarily be a Ray's pitcher for the next 10 years, but, but I've been impressed with uh, Taj's work thus far. So, I don't know. I thought about, like... Uh, I, are we into the? Have we have completed our drafts now? Are we I into think the, so. the also rans the players we considered? Oh, here? we we can. Do you want? Would you like a recap of your results to make sure that you're that I did them correctly? I think I I wrote down mine. Okay. So let's see if we have this. I I got Juan Soto. Yep. Corbin Carroll. Yep. Ellie De La Cruz. Yep. Gunnar Henderson. Yep. Spencer Strider. Yep. Nolan Gorman, mm-hmm. Jordan Walker, mm-hmm. Riley Green, mm-hmm. Hunter Green, mm-hmm. Andres Jimenez, mm-hmm. Isak Paredes, mm-hmm. Bobby Miller, and Taj Bradley. Okay, yes. Okay. Want to recap yours? I took Wander Franco, Fernando Tatis Jr., Julio Rodriguez, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Francisco Alvarez, O'Neill Cruz, Michael Harris II, Yuri Perez, Anthony Volpe, Gabriel Moreno, Hunter Brown, Ezekiel Duran, and Bobby Witt Jr. Okay. All right, so that's our wow. our top twenty six under twenty five. <laughs> who have and already debuted? Who have already debuted? Yes, important yeah. stipulation there. Important. Okay, yeah. So I've I've got a lot of names left on my board. So I guess uh, just so so we don't uh, snub anyone completely here. Who else were you considering for your final picks? Oh sure, yeah. I mean, I was I was thinking about living a Bryce Miller lifestyle. I was uh-huh. thinking about Brian Bayo. I was thinking mm. about you know on the position player side. I was like, how much do I believe in Jared Kelnick? Not enough yeah, to take him. Not enough, I guess. <laughs> um, I thought about Matt McLean. Me I too. Thought yeah, about... I was going to hedge my bets, and you know, I took Ellie. Yeah. And I'd take Matt McLean too. I'd, I'd have the shortstop of the future, whoever it is. I thought about. Brett Beatty, I thought about, mm. um, let's see, what other position players did I think about? How do I thought how, about Kirk. I thought, I about, thought about Kirk. Logan O'Hoppy also. I thought about Logan O'Hoppy. I thought about, let's see, I, I did like entertain briefly and then quickly dismiss Perdomo. And look, it's so fun, but I don't think it's likely mm. to persist. It seems unlikely to persist. I thought about Miguel Vargas, and then I stopped thinking about that. I... You know, I thought about Joey Weimer. Mm-hmm. I thought about Casey Schmidt. I thought about Kiebert Ruiz just because I'm like. Me too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, what's going on there? That's so weird. <laughs> That's such a weird, you know. Um, 
I thought about how bummed I am that like CJ Abrams has still not been hitting well. Right. Yeah. There were a few guys who are in that category of like, yeah, CJ Abrams, Spencer Torkelson, yeah. right? Uh, Von Grissom, Bryce Terang, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, Tristan Cassis, um, Royce Lewis, <laughs> I Royce guess. Lewis. I, I, oh. Too many knee concerns, but uh, yeah. you know, Dylan Carlson was eligible for this draft. Yeah, Royce Lewis sure has been hitting a mm. little bit, like lately, just like a little bit lately. It's like going to, it's it's going better, like really, really recently late. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe, maybe it was only the one game. I <laughs> <laughs> I thought about Reed Detmers. I just I like Reed Detmers. Yeah. And uh, Mackenzie Gore's pitching pretty well these yeah. days. Uh, Tanner Bibby. Yeah. Mason Miller, who is yeah. hurt, but uh, when he was not yet hurt, he looked quite good. Logan Allen. Yeah. The, the new Logan Allen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Bryce Elder. Yeah. Good, but and then Grayson Rodriguez, right? Yeah, like, I didn't I mean, know what to do there. I didn't know. What I mean, to do I either. clearly knew. I clearly made a decision, but I don't know if I'm confident. In yeah, it. I, like up until whatever six weeks ago or something, we probably would have taken Grayson Rodriguez. So again, is is that a? Are we reading too much into his struggles to start the season with the Orioles? Quite possibly. I mean, he was. Uh, probably the best pitching prospect in baseball, right? So how much has actually changed in a month or two? Maybe not enough to not draft him, but we didn't draft him. So we didn't draft him. Yeah, okay. <sighs> wow, that was really stressful, Ben. Yeah, well, there are a lot of really good young players. Uh, there are so many. The first to remark on that, and uh, it's not the first time we have remarked on that. No. But, but even with a really impressive like age 25 group you know guys who have aged out of of the yeah. under 25 cohort who have been there for a while the Jordans and the Acunas etc like it's still extremely strong yeah. even without them so the game is in good hands I would say yeah. and uh, we will track this this will be on the Effectively Wild Drafts and Competitions spreadsheet where John Chenier our official stat keeper keeps track of these things despite having probably much more important things to do and yeah. actually like working in baseball now. Uh, but uh, but yes, we will keep track of this and maybe I'll put a poll up too just for, for some listener interaction here so you can choose one of our teams and, and we'll see who the favorite is uh, based on the crowdsourcing here, the whether the wisdom of crowds favors one of our rosters or not. And we will check in in 10 years, hopefully, or probably even before then to see how things are going. We hope all the players are good. <laughs> but some of them probably won't be. Yeah, we want everyone to do well. I mean, ideally, like we win, one of us wins just like on on the squeakiest of squeakers because everyone yeah. is doing so well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. George Kirby doesn't doesn't count either. Doesn't just, qualify. Uh, yeah, late cut. He's uh, four months over the deadline. Yeah, Jesus Lozardo doesn't count. I I live in fear that we have uh, omitted someone extremely obvious, and everyone will email us and say, yeah. "How did you leave out so and so?" Because yeah. uh, we were looking at the wrong leaderboard or had the wrong cutoff or something. So if we omitted someone extremely obvious, uh, our apologies to all of you and to that person. But I brought my innings pitched cutoff down to like twenty for the year. 
I made it zero because oh. I was afraid if I was uh, so paranoid about missing anyone, I just uh, I took all. And you know, I was like, is there someone who hasn't played this year, who played last year, who would qualify, but maybe right. has been hurt or something to start the season? And yeah. I'm going to be kicking myself I didn't draft that guy. Maybe we'll find maybe. out. We're going to find out. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's do a past blast, which comes to us from 2017, and also from David Lewis, who is an architectural historian and baseball researcher based in Boston. And David writes, pace of play rules target replay. In 2017, Major League Baseball's eternal search for ways to speed up the game turned toward one of its newer innovations, replay review. First announced in February 2017, the league sought to limit the amount of time managers had to decide whether or not to challenge a play. While the rule at the time suggested that the decision needed to be made immediately, delays often took place as managers mulled the decision over with team replay assistance. While the league was eager to make pace of play improvements anywhere they could, an ESPN article published when the rule change was announced suggested that they did not have a lot of ground to make up when it came to replay. According to the report, the average review time during the 2016 season was just 1 minute 36 seconds, down from an average of 1 minute 51 seconds in 2015. Furthermore, 74.5% of reviews in 2016 took less than 2 minutes, and 23.5% took less than 1 minute. The only place to make up time within the replay system seemed to be within managers' decision-making time, which was not tracked as a part of the above data. By the time the league and the Players Association agreed on the rule changes in March 2017, an additional rule was put in place requiring umpires to make their decisions on replay reviews in under two minutes. This rule, however, came with vaguely outlined various exceptions that would allow for umpires to take more time if needed. And there continued to be trimming in this area even this season, right? There were some uh, new crackdowns and regulations on how long you could take to signal for a replay review even now. So uh, we're, we're still tinkering with the system after all this time. Now you got to put your little hand up and go, oh, no, no. Right, exactly. Yeah. I'm think and, but I, I, you put your little hand up and go, oh, no, no, I'm thinking about it. And it's like, is this really the time saver that we anticipated? Me? It's like, no, yeah. no, wait, I got to think more. My no. brain. It's it's all small beans, really. Uh, everything other than the pitch clock, it's it's kind of chump change by comparison. And I mean, you know, with the pitch clock, you have to monitor that too, and you have to make sure that the Philly pitch clock isn't super sped up. I guess also, but but all the attempts to cut back uh, seconds here and seconds there, it all just didn't really amount to all that much until you put the pitch clock in place. And then it was like, oh, okay, that was uh, all we really needed to do all along. Just in one fell swoop, we can uh, make this super speedy with a handy-dandy clock. Just a hill of beans otherwise. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we have uh, one more episode to record uh, because we rearranged some things uh, due to multiple factors, including me not being able to speak <laughs> very well. But uh, we'll be back with one more episode before the end of the week. And there's not a lot of week left, which means we will be back with another episode soon. And uh, happy Pride weekend to everyone, including Anthony Bass, I guess. Mm -hmm. can be mm -hmm. our here. Mm -hmm. What? what? What, what what do you think? Not to extend this episode too much longer when we were about to go, because I know you have to get your haircut. But uh, I'm, I'm trying to look less like a gremlin. <laughs> but but 
the the Bass and and Matt Dermody, I guess you can kind of lump them together. Both have been designated for assignment yeah. as we record here on Friday after having made homophobic comments or shared homophobic videos and basically declined to atone, right? I mean, they made apologies, but very qualified apologies, yeah. which were much more like – I shouldn't have shared that, you know, right. I shouldn't have said that out loud, you know, I shouldn't have become a distraction to the team, but right. not, I have changed my views uh, very much. I'm standing by my views, which, you know, hey, yeah, you're entitled to have your views and people are entitled to think Say that they're they suck. bigoted views, <laughs> yeah, right, uh, which is what happened. I mean, the thing that was kind of curious about it with both these guys is that, like, they're the definition of replacement level players, right? right? I mean, Matt Dermody, like, uh, you couldn't come up with a, a better, like, textbook replacement level yes. player. Like, I mean, the Red Sox called him up, like, as a replacement to make yes. a replacement start, basically. He's replacement level for his career, and he pitched like a replacement level pitcher, and then they cut him after the game. And, you know, the comments, like, by Heim Bloom were, were sort of like, uh, we talked to him, and, you know, he 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 didn't mean to to hurt anyone. This was referring to a tweet that he had made a couple of years ago where he was basically like, gay people are going to hell, you know, right. more or less. And uh, I don't know how that could not be intended to be hurtful, except I guess he might say like, hey, this is a PSA. You know, I'm trying to trying to warn them, right. trying to save them from the eternal hellfire because right? Right. I, I care about everyone. And therefore, <laughs> I'm just trying to fill them in, you know, on, on where they're going to go if, if they don't do things differently. So thanks a lot, Matt. And Bass was sort of the same thing where he shared a video about how, you know, selling uh, LGBTQ, you know, Pride merch, merch at, at Target is uh, satanic and, and demonic. demonic. And, and, you know, he, he said that wasn't hateful either right. somehow. Like, uh, so the I'm whole bursting, thing, Ben. It's, it's kind of a consistent theme when the, with the baseball players who said these things is it's very much like maintaining – that you don't hate the person and you care for everyone. You just, you know, some people have put it like Daniel Murphy back in the day. He's like, I, I disagree with the lifestyle, that right. kind of thing. And it's like, well, you can't be inclusive and welcoming right. and not hateful and then also reject who people are and a core part of their identity and and suggest that they just shouldn't act on it, then everything would be fine if they just cut themselves off from, right. from a core part of being a human being. Well, then that'd be fine. Then I won't be offended. And uh, then you'll, you know, be by the book, that one part of the Bible that says that, that we pay attention to that part and not the other parts that uh, go against that or that say other things that we ignore, et cetera. Right. But I wonder with the response to this, because Bass, who pitched pretty well last year, but has been replacement level himself this yeah. year. You know, he's a 35-year-old, like, journeyman reliever. Right. And, and Dermody is uh, even more of a, a marginal fringe major leaguer. And, you know, I, I guess there might be some considerations, like I was reading in the Toronto Star, that, you know, there could be a concern that, well, if you suspended someone just based on an opinion that they have, you know, they're allowed to think these things, right? Can you suspend someone for that? And the Star report said maybe there could be a grievance on behalf mm -hmm. of the Players Association. Both of these guys could be DFA'd on a performance basis because right. they just haven't performed very well. But I wonder whether 
the long leashes that they got and the chances to sort of read these scripted statements and then sort of, you know, stand by their personal beliefs. And then there was even that strange little time when it sounded like Anthony Bass was somehow going to be part of the Pride <laughs> Night event and he was going to be catching the first pitch somehow, yeah. which from the moment I saw it, I was like, that can't possibly happen. Like something will, will intervene to stop that from happening. And what it is is that Anthony Bass is no longer actually on the Blue Jays, so he cannot catch that pitch. But but I wonder whether part of it is is that. I mean, I guess you do have to be sensitive about uh, can you just release someone or suspend someone based on an opinion that they expressed, uh, however onerous. But also, I wonder whether teams are thinking, like, how many players sh- right. either share these beliefs yeah. or, you know, are not uh, offended by these beliefs and just didn't take the step of saying so on social media, right? I mean, there's got to be a sizable subset. I I hope it's not too many. And there's certainly been lots of players who've made uh, strong, inclusive statements and gestures and everything. And and I would guess that it's probably a a minority, certainly players who who feel as strongly about this and and have as extreme a stance on this as as guys like Dermody and Bass. But but you got to figure like it's kind of a, Pandora's box can of worms for baseball teams when it's like, if we take a strong stance on this, are other players who share those beliefs not going to play for us? Uh, You know, like, is there going to be some cost there other than just like people tweeting about it and organizing call-in campaigns uh, on the far right kind of thing? So I I wonder how much of it is is that kind of consideration, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, I I imagine that there is probably... I think that orgs are probably pretty clear-eyed about the percentage of their playing population that at the very least is indifferent to mm-hmm. what yeah. Bass had to say, right? Uh, and many who probably strongly agree with him. And so I I think that there probably is a practical consideration here on the part of most teams that like if you start cutting all the guys who share those views, um, you might end up with some pretty small baseball teams. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, just to, I have a lot of thoughts, and so I apologize (laughs) if these are not um, particularly well pulled together. But I think we can just be, like, less credulous in the face of, well, he didn't mean to hurt anyone when someone is espousing a viewpoint that is, like, hurtful on its face, but is meant to be shaming and scary, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I can speak from my own experience here because I do have um, some of my worst cousins who probably agree with Anthony Bass about this stuff. And, like, when they invoke hell, whether it's around, you know, people um, supporting, like, bodily autonomy um, or um, LGBTQ people, like, being themselves, they want it to feel bad. They want it to be scary. That's the stick in service of, you know, repenting and conversion, right? Like, Mm. that's the point. It's supposed to be bad. If it weren't a threat, you wouldn't take it seriously and then, like, live a life in the way that they think you should. And I I understand that there's this thing that happens where, like, the 
the idea of like hate the sin, not the sinner is perceived as like a softer, mm-hmm. um, less exclusionary approach. But like we know the damage that that does. Like when you tell someone that they can't give expression to a core part of their identity, like we know what that does for mental health, for suicidal ideation. Like that rhetoric is dangerous and it hurts people and sometimes has devastating consequences for them. So like I think we should look at that stuff even if it – is presented as, like, I care for everyone, and even if that is a genuine perspective that the person has and not just, like, a PR ploy, I think we can say, I know you think that, but what you think is is nonsensical. <laughs> like, this doesn't <laughs> hang together, and we don't have to lend it credence. So there's mm-hmm. that piece of it. I mean, I think that, like, before he was DFA'd, I just think, controversial take, I say this as, as a straight person, like, Pride Night shouldn't be about us. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Pride Night's not about me. It shouldn't be about me. It sh- super shouldn't be about straight people who don't seem to like gay people. <laughs> but it shouldn't <laughs> even be about the straight people who do. Like, it's just, not, that's not about me. That's not the purpose of Pride. That's even within, like, the corporatized, sanitized version of Pride that we get at the ballpark, it's not the purpose. So it's just like, this isn't our show. And it shouldn't make it that way. And I, I do think, I hope that, like, people can hear about the lived experiences of other people contemplate these questions and grow in a way that does lead to not like a qualified version of tolerance, but like a real understanding of how powerful it can be to recognize the dignity of another person and do that in an unqualified way. And if you have to put that within an architecture of faith, okay, like that's your business. It's not mine. If, Mm -hmm. if that helps you to do it, cool. But like we, we don't need to use events that aren't about the people who are espousing hateful ideology as like the platform for their penance or or mm-hmm. growth like if anthony bass were on the team today it still wouldn't be appropriate for him to like be a part of a pride celebration because we shouldn't make that about him like figuring it out particularly after you listen to his answers where it's like oh you don't you haven't changed your mind about any of this like yeah. congratulations you got through your press conference without calling someone a groomer but otherwise like i don't think you really did uncover yourself in glory here how was there not ah. yeah it's it's been like a week or 10 days i mean if that's your your stance that recently i you know and you feel it's like that important to you it, i would be surprised if you did a complete 180 on on something like that in in a week or something so it's just you know it's like reflecting on maybe i shouldn't say that out loud <laughs> as opposed to maybe i shouldn't think that but and to be clear i do think that there is some value for everyone's experience of safety at the ballpark and enjoyment for these dudes shutting up. Like there is, it's not what I ideally want, but like, you know, like we said, I doubt he is alone in his thoughts. And I can think of off the top of my head, and I'm not going to name him, like I can think of some high profile players who based on what I've heard them say about their personal politics, about the way that their relationship to faith manifests, probably agree with him. And you know what? I don't know that because they have kept their little mouth shut. (laughs) And there's value in that. Now, I do think that, like, that isn't enough. And particularly when you think about the clubhouse as a workplace that doesn't have an out player, like, you can see how it isn't 
you know, there's like a limit to the usefulness of just being quiet because in order for you to create an atmosphere and an environment where a gay player or a non-binary player feels comfortable coming out, it probably requires more than just like grudging silence on the part of his teammates. So I don't mean to say that it's like sufficient, but in terms of fan experience, I do think that there is a lot to like knowing this rhetoric, however I understand it within my conception of my faith, you know, however generous and caring I perceive it to be, I understand that these words are hurtful because you know, I, player X, believe hell is real. And so saying to someone, hey, by the way, that's where you're headed, might be, you know, hurtful to mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Keeping that thought to yourself, I think, does have value. Yeah, sure. Um, I hope that it is that, like, listening to the impact that those words have on people, you know, inspires a a process of sort of, like, reflection that leads you to a different place. But I, especially given like how much of pride we have had to spend hearing from people who don't think pride should exist, like shutting up has value too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even if it's, uh, even if it's genuinely coming from what you think is a place of, of compassion, it's just, it's not, it's not compassionate. I mean, you might think it is, but it's just not. <laughs> I don't think there is a way to to express that yeah. thought, to, to hold that thought. I mean, you're entitled to think whatever you want, and, and Anthony Bass can have his personal beliefs, but whatever your motivation for thinking that and saying that, I can't imagine that anyone would receive it in a, a way that it sounds anything other than intolerant. It just yep. uh, kind of inherently is whatever yep. your motivation for it is. Yep. So anyway, um, I hope that folks can have a nice and nice isn't even the right word. I hope people can have an experience of pride that has nothing to do with Anthony Bass. Yeah, right. Yes, it would be nice if this were not dominated by (laughs) conversations about Bass or Dermody or Trevor Williams or anyone else who has caused a stir over the Dodgers Pride Night or anything else over the past few weeks. So it is sort of unfortunate that that has come to dominate the conversations about that, including on this podcast. But they are now no longer in the big leagues, at least for now, Anthony Bass and Matt Dermody, at least. So we will move on. All right, that will do it. Just a couple updates for you here. First, the baseball simulation game Blaseball came to an end about a week ago, sadly. I know some of our listeners were involved in the Blaseball community. If you'd like to commemorate it via Effectively Wild, we did interview some of the makers of that game back on episode 1663. I will link to that on the show page. And while I'm recommending old episodes and things related to those episodes, back in February, episode 1963, I talked to Jason Jenks of The Athletic about his many oral histories of Zach. Granky's career. I joked with him that because Granky was coming back for another season, that meant that Jason would have to do another edition. And he did. He and Rustin Dodd teamed up on a piece headlined, What the Heck Was That? 10 Stories That Explain Why There's No Pitcher Like Zach Granky. I know a lot of you love Granky like we do, so I will link to that piece on the show page if you want to slake your thirst for more Granky stories. Also, we discussed earlier this week whether Aaron Judge actually went directly through the outfield wall in Los Angeles when he hurt his toe, or whether he just went through a gate 
eight. Well, Stan Kasten of the Dodgers says he didn't go through the door, which is what I thought when I was watching the game. Then I got out there and realized the door doesn't open in that direction. He actually broke through where some of the panels were joined, the barrier between the two connecting panels, which is unbelievable. But we're going to strengthen that and add a strip of padding on the bottom as well. Judge, of course, is on the IL, but you should see the other guy or see the other wall in this instance. We also got an email from a listener who suggested that perhaps the reason why Shohei Otani throws so many sweepers to opposite-handed hitters, despite the fact that in general that seems to be a bad idea. The pitch has a big platoon split and left-handed hitters have hit his sweepers much better than right-handed hitters. This listener speculated that maybe Otani himself has hit well against sweepers from opposite-handed pitchers, maybe righties who've thrown him sweepers. He's hit them really well. And so his two-way experience is holding him back is giving him a misimpression of how effective sweepers are to opposite-handed hitters? Well, I looked into it, and no, that is not the case. Otani has followed the typical pattern of hitting sweepers very well when they are thrown by opposite-handed pitchers and hitting them not so well from same-handed pitchers. So he has seen 116 sweepers from left-handed pitchers, and he has produced a 326 Woba against them. He's seen 108 sweepers from right-handed pitchers. Notice he's seen fewer sweepers from opposite-handed pitchers, despite there being more righties than lefties generally, and he has crushed those to the tune of a 495 Woba. So if anything, his personal experience as a hitter should have reinforced the idea that sweepers are less effective against opposite-handed hitters, but he has not drawn that conclusion as of yet. Perhaps he will in time. Also, gotta give you a Jake Diekman update. Back on episode 2005, we each predicted what Jake Diekman's FIP would be with the Rays. He had been released by the White Sox, then the Rays picked him up, and this was sort of the ultimate test of do the Rays actually make pitchers better? Jake Diekman, who had been very ineffective for the White Sox, who had not been successful as a team to that point, though they're only a few games had a first in that woeful AL Central these days. Well, the Rays have seemingly encouraged Diekman to make some changes. Here I'm quoting from Alexandra Whitley's piece at Baseball Prospectus on Friday. With the Rays, Alexandra wrote, Diekman is throwing more from a sidearm slot, lowering his release point by a few inches by extending his horizontal release point half a foot toward first base. To accentuate these changes, his fastballs, a four-seamer and sinker, which look quite similar, are adding more arm side run. From a bit under 17 inches to a bit over 18 with a touch more sink too, it's also a half tick harder. His sweeping slider and new cutter have been pushed to the side, the latter entirely and the sweeper down to once per appearance usage. The fastballs and changeup have soaked up that space. In short, the Rays identified something they liked about Diekman, how his running fastball pairs with a fairly extreme horizontal release angle, and went all in on it, setting aside any other changes for a later date. So how has this revamped Diekman done? Through 11 games and nine and a third innings, he has produced a 4.25 FIP for the Rays. And as you may recall, Meg predicted that he would have a 4.25 FIP for the Rays. So thus far, she is bang on. I predicted 4.0. That's your Diekman update for the day. Lastly, we got an email from listener Kevin in response to our segment earlier this week about super errors, how we need a new designation to describe errors that are particularly egregious and embarrassing. This was prompted by a Red Sox miscue or multiple miscues on the same play. I read part of a quote from Alex Cora about how that defense was unacceptable, and I talked about the fact that Alex Cora is ultimately responsible for the unacceptable defense, which puts him in sort of an awkward position. Kevin wrote in to say that Alex Cora actually did take responsibility for the defense. Not sure if it was in the same conversation as the quote mentioned in the episode, but it was after the the same game. He said, at the end, it's on me. I'm the manager of this club and we've been sloppy. It's not about pointing fingers. The roster is the roster and we have to play better baseball. I'm the manager of this team and defensively, we're not good. We're not. We keep working. We're going to coach the players until we get it right. When? I don't know. 
If it's tomorrow, it's 59 games too late, but we've got to keep going. Hadn't seen that part of the quote, so thank you, Kevin. I was not actually trying to suggest that Cora had shirked responsibility for the bad defense. I was just saying that it puts him in sort of a strange position because he has to condemn the bad defense, but in doing so, it kind of puts the onus on him because he's the manager. So there's no way to condemn the defense without condemning his own managing. Obviously, he recognized that. Kevin also notes the Yankees gave up a little league home run to Jose Azokar and the Padres just one week earlier, and it might have been even worse. Not that each of these types of plays needs to be mentioned on the show. I only mention it because I thought it was ironic that Ben's transition to the next segment on Aaron Judge was, I did want to bring up a better ALEs team, which I think is true generally, but just funny in this context. True enough, I don't know if that super error was worse, but it did deserve the super error designation. Even good teams make bad plays, but the Red Sox sure seem to make more of them than most. You can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up and pledge some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, help us stay mostly ad-free, and get themselves access to some perks. Truck Mangioni, Tri Solaris, Jacob Longo, Garrett Sutherland, and David Kim. Thanks to all of you. Patreon perks include access to the Effectively Wild Discord group for patrons only, access to monthly bonus podcasts and playoff live streams, in addition to expedited answers to emails and ad-free Fangrass memberships and merch and many more goodies. Patreon.com slash Effectively wild. If you are a Patreon supporter, you can contact us through the Patreon site. Anyone can email us at podcast at fangraphs.com. Send us your questions and comments. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod, and you can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Shane McKeon for his editing and production assistance. We will be back to talk to you soon. Welcome to episode 2000. <laughs> Sorry, Shane, let me take you again. Shall I? Okay. Sure. Effectively wild. Very effectively and very wild.